All right, I think I'm I think I'm ready to jump in. The title of the message is Getting Free or Breaking Free of Circumstantial Fear. Breaking Free of Circumstantial Fear. I thought I was done with my freedom series. All November we took the opportunity to get through freedom and then I started getting into this message and and I and I, I landed I was like, "Wow, God, I guess we're not done. We still need some more freedom." And this is called Circumstantial Fear. I really appreciated Nick's message last week. He opened up the idea that on the first Sunday of Advent, if you've been in that tradition that celebrates the Advent themes up until the birth of Christ, last week was preparing the way. This week is on joy. And I began to reflect on the fact of how does joy and fear relate? Well, all of a sudden it came into being that if you live fear-free, you have joy. (laughs) And if you don't live fear-free, you don't have joy. So maybe we're approaching joy from a different point of view than normally the way we think about it, but uh, that's certainly the case. I want to start with Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 7 and 8. And really the storyline here is that Moses is about ready to climb the mountain and go on to step into heaven. In three chapters, he's walking up the mountain and he's stepping into heaven. And... uh, But in the process, in in chapter 31, he is actually transitioning the leadership of Moses, which we could say Moses pastored the people for 40 years, and he's getting ready to install a new pastor, Joshua. So this is kind of the setting and the scene. Uh, The the 40-year pastorship of Moses is done, and the, the next phase of Joshua is getting ready to start. And so Moses brings Joshua forward in the presence of the people, and he shares with them this, these declarations or these understandings. And I want to, as we kind of open up the subject, I want to uh, really have you use this as a backdrop as we wade in this morning. So Moses summons Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with these people into the land the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. And so Moses said, Joshua, what I started, you're going to finish. You're going to take the people into the promised land. God says, I have guaranteed an inheritance, and I'm going to give it to you. And so I want to proclaim that you're going to do this. Your leadership is going to bring the people into the next phase of what I have for them. And then the Lord reminds them this, and I want to remind you as God's people this morning. Verse 8 says, the Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you, and he will never forsake you. Do not be afraid, and do not be discouraged. What a great word for us to be reminded of this morning, that whatever we're walking in or walking through, that we can come back and be reminded that the Lord himself is with you, that he will always be with you. And that he will not forsake you. And that you do not need to be afraid, nor do you need to be discouraged. Because the Lord is with you. What what an an amazing um, just just declaration and, and response for us to take in today in our hearts. So let's jump in this morning. And as I recalled the Christmas story, there's really four people that are involved. You have Zachariah the priest. You have Mary the mother of Jesus. You have Joseph his natural father, and then you have the shepherds. And what I noticed is that when all 
all four of those folks, and one was a group, when they received the good news of the birth of Jesus, they responded in fear. All, all, each one of them responded in fear. But the fear was only circumstantial. It didn't follow them into their life. It changed after a period of time. And all of us can experience circumstantial fear for a moment. The question is, does it trail with us through life? Does it lock on and follow us around? Or do, can we break the power of fear that we might have in the moment and walk into faith? So that's where we're going this morning. All of us have had an amazing opportunity to be fearful this last year and a half, haven't we? I don't know of any time in my life history where I have seen a heightened level of fear globally than I have now. I mean, there's been moments of things that have happened that suddenly we get afraid of what's next, but then that's kind of trailed off and we've gone about ways. But this one has kind of stuck around a while, hasn't it? Every time we watch the news or talk with somebody, it's sort of there. In fact, I wrote down some fears that maybe you can identify with during this last season. Here's one, fear of catching a vi the virus. Fear of what will happen if I do. Fear of who I might spread it to. Fear of being contagious and I don't know it. Fear of whether to take the vaccine or not. Fear of does it actually work. Fear of side effects of getting vaccinated. Fear of who's telling the truth and who's lying about it. Fear of what the government is going to do next in their mandates. Fear of how, how will this affect my job and my life. Fear of how long will this stay in place. Are you connecting with me? We've had a lot of opportunity to get fearful. And so what do we do about that? Well, we're going to learn something through how, how these uh, folks handled the birth announcement of Jesus of how we get free and walk free of fear that sometimes comes onto us through circumstances. Fear is a natural response to something unknown. I mean, it's just a natural response that God has put into us. But sometimes we can take it further and try to control everything and everybody because we're fearful. That's not good. That means that we have taken on the embodiment of fear, and now we're trying to control people and circumstances when God's not called us to do that. He's called us to trust Him and allow Him to work out the circumstances so that we don't have to fear. When I looked at these four different folks, I asked the question, what were they afraid of? What was Zachariah afraid of when the angel showed up? What was he really afraid of? What, what were the shepherds afraid of when the angels appeared at night? What were they really afraid of? What was, what was Mary afraid of when the angel said that she would be with child? What was that fear? And then Joseph what was he actually afraid of when he heard that Mary was pregnant and they weren't married yet and they never had union? And so as I analyzed that, I came up with these, these four different, I'd call them types of fear. And, and the first one is, I believe that Zachariah was, had, was faced traditional fear. Traditional fear. He was locked into a tradition that when God announced he was doing something outside of the box, he suddenly got afraid. Can you identify? All of us have routines. All of us have traditions. All of us have beliefs that we carry through. And suddenly God comes in and he goes, I want to do something new with you. 
We're like, oh, no, I'm not ready for that God. We have traditional fear that we face. And this was Zachariah. I was diving into to just who he was and, this, and, the, and the, the surroundings. And I discovered that during the time of Jesus, there could have been as many as 18,000 priests. 18,000. And so this 18,000 was divided up into four, 24 divisions. Uh, and Zechariah was a part of the division of Abijah. You can read that in Luke chapter 1. So he was a part of the 8th division. And his division, sounds like the army, right? His division came up and said, it's time to serve. And so if you did the math, you took 18,000 and you divided it into 24, you would come up with 750. Now, I, I wouldn't say that there were 750 in each. There could have been more in some and less than others. But it kind of gives you the idea of how many priests there were that, that were called in and they served one week at a time, two times a year. 24, one week at a time, two times a year. And so uh, uh, Zachariah's division was called up. Now, once they got there, they all had their duties that they did, but there were special duties that they would draw the lot for that would go take them into special places to serve. And this was the, the holy place. It wasn't the holy of holies. That was one time a year that the priest went in, and after Jesus went in, we don't do that anymore. The veil was torn. We go straight in. But during this time, Zechariah and all the priests that were on his division, they drew straws. I don't know if it was the largest straw or the smallest straw, but they drew straws. Probably the priest that served in the holy place only went there once in his life. So Zechariah drew the straw that he was going to go along with four others. It was usually just five. And some of them served the lamp that was supposed to be burning, kept it trim. Some of them baked the showbread that was supposed to be available for God to see. And somebody else trimmed the, the, uh, the, uh, took care of the incense. That was Zachariah's job. He was the one that was supposed to keep up with the incense. And so he's going in at the time of prayer to this place that he's never done before, never been there before, he heard about what to do, and so he's learning something new, and suddenly an angel shows up. I think you'd be afraid too. Because we walk into, we have this tradition that we walk in, and suddenly God says, I want to do a new thing. And the question is, are we open, or are we just afraid? It would be a natural response for us to be afraid and to wonder what God is up to and how it's going to turn out. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm kind of a guy that, that likes change on my own terms. Not that I don't like change. I just like it on my own terms. And here Zechariah is in a place where he definitely uh, is, is being pulled in to actually prayers that he prayed. Can you imagine? Because that's what the angel said first. Zechariah, I, I am here to say that God is giving you the answer to your prayers. Guess what? He didn't believe it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed prayers you didn't believe? Well, you're keeping company with Zechariah. So he's, he's there, and the angel show, uh, shared with him that he's going to have a, ch a child, he and Elizabeth. Now, normally, the priests started their ministry at age 30, and they ended at 50. So Zechariah is probably in the 50 range, and Elizabeth is that old or older but the scripture clearly says that she was outside 
of the natural, traditional, expected childbearing years. And he's still praying a prayer. Maybe he stopped, but God didn't, God didn't stop. Maybe, maybe Zechariah reached 50 and says, okay, God, we're done. But he prayed that he would have a son. He and Elizabeth would have a child, and it hadn't happened yet. And then suddenly the angel shows up, and Zechariah's trembling in fear. And again, he's so locked into tradition that after the angel tells him what's going on and how it's going to be, he still doesn't believe it. He's like, well, how can this be? Now Mary, on the other hand, she had the same kind of abrupt invasion. The angel, angel came to hear. What kind of fear did Mary have? I call, I call Mary's uh, fear more of a... Um, um, I'll get it here in a minute. There we go. Mary's fear was more interpretational fear. She didn't know how to interpret what the angel was saying. Has that ever happened to you? You got a voicemail, you got a text, you got a letter in the mail, and you opened it up and you're like, what does this mean? Somebody needs to interpret this for me. I, I don't understand. And suddenly a fear can come over you regarding some kind of correspondence just because you don't have an accurate interpretation of it. And that's what happened to Mary. She had interpretational fear. And that can happen to either, either one of us. And so the angel began to explain how it was going to happen. And when they finished up, Mary said, Okay, I'm good. Bring it on. I believe that was the exact moment she got pregnant. When she said yes to the angel, I believe that was the moment that she got pregnant. And so Mary had a, had a fear of interpretation. She didn't know how to interpret what the angel was saying. And when she did, she said yes to the Lord. We've had a lot of chances to interpret what our, gover our governor has been saying over the last year and a half. <laughs> Uh, like, you know, during the height and season, not so much anymore, but during the height and season there back at the end of, uh, I don't know, years run together, I guess, 2020, beginning of 2020, that uh, I'm like, Chris, what did the governor say? Well, he said this. Well, we'll wait for the executive order. I mean, not the executive order, how it's written up. And I guess it was then. And so then when the governor left things open to interpretation, we interpreted it. And we interpreted according to how God wanted us to to, to operate. And so, again, uh, you have different interpretations of things, and sometimes as a result of not knowing can cause us to have a circumstantial fear. Emotional fear is, um, is what the um, shepherds experienced. Uh, I mean, can you imagine these guys out? I don't know whether they still had a fire ring, telling stories, getting ready to go to bed, I don't know whether they were in deep sleep, snoring loudly, waking up each other. But suddenly, this boom, popped up an angel in front of them. I mean, just there. And I'm telling you, it is, it is just, they, it says that the, the scripture says that they were terrified. The King James said they were sore afraid. They were so afraid they were sore. Okay, I had to get a dad joke in there. I mean, that's, that's really afraid. And... And so these, these guys are there, and, and they're, they're listening to what the angel is saying. And then uh, it's like a heavenly musical happened after that. They're like, wow, this is amazing. But I call it emotional fear 
Because as soon as the angels were done, they said, let's go see this thing that the angel told us about. They didn't delay. They didn't go back to bed. They didn't say, oh, that's just crazy, man. That's a bad dream. What in the world was that all about? Oh, let's roll over and go back to sleep. No, they engaged. But they had incredible emotional fear when this angel showed up and proclaimed them the good news that God was born today in the city of David. They had emotional fear, and that can happen to any one of us. Joseph, what did he face? He faced what I called fear of conscience. Fear of conscience. Because when the angel came to him, not in person, but in a dream, he was a very conscientious person. And when he discovered that Mary was pregnant, he thought, wait a minute, I can't go forward with this. This is outside of God's law. This is outside of what I want to be associated with. I don't want this reputation. His conscience had swelled up to say, no way, I am not going forward with this. This is not who I am. This is not who I believe God is. I don't know about what's happened with Mary, but I'm not moving forward. In fact, I'm going to not be going to make a public deal of it. I'm just going to divorce her privately. And then suddenly God intervened. He was afraid. He had fear. And the angel said, do not fear, Joseph. Take Mary as your wife. This is what's going on. This is the fulfillment of Scripture. And so when Joseph came up out of the anesthesia of sleep in a dream, he like, okay, God, let's do this. And again, he had a circumstantial or a momentary place of fear, but then it was broken and he came out of that. We have a lot of, uh, we've had an a lot of opportunity over these past year and a half to understand how people's conscience is at different places. And we've heard this emerge more recently, that no, I can't do that because my convictions or my conscience, yes, I can do that, and, and my conscience and conviction allows me to do that. There's things that the Bible writes about that are a matter of conscience, or we call them disputable matters. Not everything, but some things. In the Scripture, it talked about food. and Because the, the, they made this, this deal into, well, you can't eat this food, and you cannot eat this food, and you would cause a division, and know it now, because you can eat this food, and I can't eat this food, we can't fellowship together. It was that divisive. Another one that came up, in the scripture was what day to worship on. The Jews were like, if it's not on Saturday, forget it. You're disobeying God. And Jesus came back and said, you can worship any day you want to. I mean, feel free anytime you want to. Any day is sacred with me. And festivals, that was another one that came up. No, you can't attend that festival because of this, that. Other well, yeah, I could go. And not, those are three things that were disputable matters. There's probably others, but, uh, but those are three that just, just came to mind. So what is a mature response to matters of conscience and what is an immature response to matters of conscience? Let's deal with the immature. The immature response to matters of conscience is making the issue into I'm right and you're wrong. When it's a matter of conscience, an immature response is you're wrong and I'm right. A mature response to matters of conscience is I see what you're saying, 
This is what I believe. It's the exact opposite. But each of us needs to be responsible before God to accept the responsibility of what it means in the decision that we're making. And as a result of that, we can still fellowship together. That's a mature response to a matter of conscience. And so we've gotten a lot of practice in that area here in the last year or so. Number two, circumstantial fear is busted by a narrative change. I mentioned this earlier in the song that we sang that it causes us to have a narrative change. Let me give you two verses out of Proverbs that talk about this. Proverbs 14, 26. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. Isn't that amazing? What a great verse. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. Here's another one. Proverbs 19.23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who finds it rests satisfied. Wow. That's pretty comforting as well. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it rests satisfied. I was trolling through YouTube, just goofing off, trying to find something interesting and entertaining, and I think I found something that was both. It was, uh, I don't know how long it took place, but it was a Senate hearing, and they had a CDC representative at the, seri- at the, at the hearing. It wasn't, it wasn't the head guy, it was somebody else. And so the senator asked a very pointed question, to the CDC person. I'm not going to tell you the subject matter because you'll get hung up on that and not the principle of what I'm sharing. So the CDC person asked this, I mean, the, the, the senator asked the CDC person that called for a very specific response. What happened? They changed the narrative. Didn't even, didn't even blink. Came, went off on left field about something. He called her and said, hey, wait a minute. I just want a question, an answer to this question. Changed the narrative again. He stepped in a second time and said, I just want an answer to this. Why can't you give me an answer to this? And went off a third time on a different narrative. Finally, he got frustrated and, answer, and asked another question. She went off on that one. Asked a third question. And she, again, didn't answer the question. See, that's what happens with fear. The enemy has a narrative that it wants to divert us from the truth. It does. And circumstantial fear can actually lock us up and cripple us for days and weeks and even years instead of recognizing that that fear came in in a circumstantial way. It needs to be identified. We can break it and walk free in faith. But we have to realize that in order to do that, the narrative has to change. You see, fear has a narrative. Fear says something happened. What happens? You begin to worry. Where did worry start? Worry started in fear. Then you begin to get anxious. Where does anxiousness start? It started in fear. And then jumped into worry. And then jumped into anxiety. And now you're in depression. Where did depression start? It started in fear. That then got linked up with worry. That thing got linked up with anxiety. Then got linked up with depression. And so we didn't recognize that we needed to change the narrative to a one of faith rather than staying in fear. Let me give you some scriptures 
about changing that. First of all, fear can surface as an emotion or a way to control. I mentioned that earlier that uh, the scripture really talks about two kinds of fear. One is to fear the Lord and then everything else. <laughs> so if you fear the Lord and you honor him and you trust him, then everything else is going to bow. But yet in the process of learning that, we sometimes get just stifled like, the, like happened when the, the, the birth announcement of, of Jesus coming to earth. So it can either be an emotion, which is momentary, or we can uh, use fear to control the situation and control other people and realizing that we're just, it's locking us up. Now I want to give you a, a verse here in Isaiah 41.10, talking about changing the narrative. Isaiah 41.10 says this, God says, do not fear, so apparently when he's speaking, the people are in fear. So he's telling them, do not fear. And then he changes the narrative. And this is what he says. He says, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see how God does that. He takes us where we're at, circumstantial fear, and he says, now, change the narrative that's, going, that's taking place in your mind or maybe your conversations. Change that into who I am and how I want to help you. And, he, and again, let me just say it again. He says, for I am with you. I will not be d dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so God zooms in at that moment and says, listen, if you believe me, I'll change the narrative on your fear and turn it into faith. Whether fear stays or faith comes depends on what's added next. Whether fear stays or faith comes depends upon what is added next. Obviously, in the case of Zechariah, he wasn't really ready to break out of his tradition and so he was silent for nine months until John was born. And the angel said, because you didn't believe, you could, but you didn't. Mary, on the other hand, was ready when she got the proper interpretation. She said, I'm all in. I'm a vessel. I'm a handmaiden of the Lord. The shepherds, the same way. Once they got the news, they were terrified. But then immediately, they added on something else to the end. They did not believe, they jumped in, they went and they found Jesus and they proclaimed the message. The same way with Joseph. He didn't just, just roll over and say, oh, that was a bad dream. No, he picked up, took Mary as his wife. Everything changed because they added something on different than what they started with. And the same needs to be for us. If we're going to move out of circumstantial or momentary fear, we've got to pay attention what we add on to the end. First Peter 3. I'm, uh, I'm going to start at verse 12 and go through 16. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's what the Lord says about evil people. So we can, we can trust him in that. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Is that how we see when we're suffering for doing the right thing? 
This again, this is a growth process. Then he says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. I'm going to come back to that. Let me finish. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Wow, what a verse. I want to go back to this phrase. It says, do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. Uh, in my Bible, I have an asterisk after, after the do not fear their threats. And so I sought it out. And it basically said, don't fear what they fear. All right? The world is practicing fear right now. The scripture says that we are not to fear what they fear. Again, it can creep into us if we're not aware. That's what the scripture says. Now, the, other, the next phrase says, do not be frightened. And so I was like, what is that? Again, another asterisk. So I jumped in and said, this is unbelievable. This came right out of Isaiah 12, uh, 8, 12. And here's what it says. This is what it says about do not be frightened. It says, do not call conspiracy everything the people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. Wow. Again, God is speaking to us in fearful situations that we are experiencing fear. And he's saying, no, add on something different. First, Second Peter 1, 5 through 9 says this, For every reason, for make every reason, for this, every reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Sometimes we come in and we say, well, I got faith, that's it. I'm done. That's not what the Bible says. It says you start with faith, believing, and you need to add something to it. And so Peter outlines the add-ons for us if we want to walk in faith. He said, add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness knowledge, and to your knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. There's a lot of add-ons, isn't it? And we're all in there someplace. But never get to the place where you say, I'm done. No, there's always an add-on. And sometimes we need to come back around and bring one on that we missed. So again, you want to walk out of circumstantial fear into faith, you've got to put the right add-ons after you experienced fear, and then you'll start walking into faith. Jesus talked about worry in Matthew 6, 25 and 27. He said, who of you can... Add a single hour to your life by worrying. And yet we think we can solve problems by worrying, don't we? Yeah, we do. We think if we worry about it long enough, it's going to solve the problem. <laughs> no, that's the wrong add-on. That just keeps us locked in to that kind of fear. Number three, getting free of circumstantial fear. Wow, here we are. Great verse here in 1 John 4, 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has, does not have to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 
Let's just unpack that verse a little bit. First of all, he says there's no fear in love. So those of us that are still in circumstantial fear have yet to progress fully into love. Now, th that happens with God. It also happens with one another. As we are progressing into love for one another, we will fear less and love more. Right? Amen. And so Paul, uh, uh, John here is writing about love and giving us a, an understanding that if we ever reach perfect love in this life, there'll be no fear in our lives. It's kind of something to have a sila moment. That if we're really uh, plagued with fear, then it's an indication we are lacking love. Understanding how much God loves us, understanding uh, how much He is able to do, be with us, dispel, strengthen us, encourage us. It's all surrounding love. Punishment is not discipline. If I would, if a punishment more has to do with, okay, I'm serving the time, but I'm not changing my mind, that would be punishment. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to change, but if I have to do this, I will, but nothing's going to change once I get out. It's going to be exactly the same, and I'm going to be who I am, and I'm going to come after you and finish what I started, even though I got interrupted in this punishment. That's punishment. But discipline is very godly. Discipline is for the purpose of, of weeding out those things in our lives that are unchristlike and allowing those attributes of Christ to come into our lives so that we can be more like Him and love others like He wants us to love them. So we have to realize that in this, this process of, of loving that discipline is very godly. When I disciplined my children as a father, they knew what they did wrong. They received their discipline, and after it was done, they got a hug. They knew it was done in love, but they knew the discipline needed to happen. And so in the same way the Father God uh, treats us because in that way because He loves us. So if we're going to break free of circumstantial fear, first thing we got to do is name your fear. Are you struggling with traditional fear? Are you struggling with fear of conscience? Are you struggling with an emotion of fear? Are you, are you, are you struggling with, um, um, you know, the, we, we have to name, I guess, I guess the question I would have for you is if you're in a situation and you're gripped with fear, ask yourself, why am I in fear? That would be a great question to ask yourself. Name it. And when you name something, then you start to disempower it already. When you name it, you start to disempower it already. You start to admit that that's the way it is. Or interpretational fear. Maybe you're in a place where you don't know how to interpret something and you're gripped with fear. Again, when you name it, then you begin to disempower it. The second thing you do is to identify your allies to defeat it. Identify your allies to defeat it. During the World Wars, uh, there, was, there were some nations, I, I, if I've got my history right, the Soviet Union started out with the Germans. Am I right on that? Okay. And then all of a sudden they switched. They realized, wait a minute, we're fighting with the enemy. We need to, this is the enemy we need to oppose. But they first started out with Germany and after they switched sides. 
And they said, no, we don't want to fight with the enemy. We, we got duped here in the beginning. No, we want to switch over to the right side, to the allied side. And when you're facing fear, you need to know who your allies are. I mean, we have the Word of God. We have prayers that we can pray. We have, we have people that we can call. And we have faith that we can stand in. All of those are allies to break out of circumstantial fear. I had a situation about a year ago, I think, or maybe a year and a half. Time flies. And I was... I had never been in this situation before, and I was about ready to face something that I'd never faced before. And in waiting to face that, which I was going to have to face, there was an incredible crippling fear that came over me that was uh, astounding. It was just like immobilizing. I had never experienced anything like that before. But it, it, was, it, was, a, it was an intimidating fear. That's, what I, that's why I identified it as now. It was just wanted to intimidate me. And once I realized it was happening, I pulled out my allies. I pulled out everything I could. I started to quote scripture. I started to worship. I prayed in tongues. I shouted. I commanded. I mean, I did everything that in, the, in the arsenal of allies that I could pull out. And it lasted for about 30 minutes, and then it broke. It was done. I had peace. I had courage. It was finished. But it was a battle. And I made it through, and I've not experienced anything like that before. But the Lord actually taught me through that experience. Someone said this, and, and uh, really Scripture backs it up, that if you'd like to have courage in your life, you have to first face your fear. And you will never get courage if you don't face your fear. And that's what God told Joshua said, do not fear, be strong and courageous. Joshua, if you defeat your fear, then you will receive courage. All of us want courage. We're like, yeah, I want courage. But before we get courage, we have to face our fear. And then courage will come as a result of that. Moses had a fear that he couldn't face Pharaoh. God says, okay, I'll give you Aaron. He's your brother. Whatever you tell him to say, he'll say. And so Moses had an ally in his brother. The third thing we do to get out of circumstantial fear is to take action regardless of our feelings. Take action regardless of our feelings. That's not an easy thing to do at times. And we understand there's moments of emotion. We get that. But regardless of our feelings, there's times that we need to take action. Just like I shared the example of my life. There's three, I call them crisis psalms that I go to. When I'm facing fear, I call them crisis psalms. I'll give them to you. Get ready to write them down. Here they come. Psalm 91, Psalm 46, and Psalm 34. 91, 46, and 34. Those are my go-tos when I, when I sense fear trying to overtake me or I get afraid that I'm, that, that I'm leading wrong or that people are speaking something that, 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 that again, is, is not of God and, and I'm receiving it and I'm under it and I like to break it, I go to these Psalms and I read them. And I, I come out of there breaking the fear that's trying to overtake me and I get courage to walk in faith in whatever that I need to face. So Psalm 91, Psalm 46, and Psalm 34. Those are my crisis 
Psalms that I go to and I read and I let them sink into my soul and get into my spirit. And as a result of that, then I get free. Isaiah 43, 10 and 11 says this, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I chosen so that you may know, listen to this, that you may know, believe me, and understand that I am he. Wow, it's really, really good. And then the last one was this, getting free of circumstantial fear is to call on the Lord who dispels all other fears. He really does. When we fear him, respect him, honor him, trust him, believe in him, then all the other fears are going to bow. They're going to bow out. They're going to bow back. They're, they're going to give you some space because the King of kings and the Lord of lords has come into your life and in, into the circumstances that you once feared when we do that. Listen to Isaiah 43, 12 and 13. The Lord says, I have revealed and saved and proclaimed I, not some foreign God among you, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act who can reverse it. Wow, isn't that great? Psalm 43, 11 and 12, powerful, powerful, powerful words that sometimes we need to hear in circumstances where we're in fear. There's no fear in love. We're being perfected in love. So therefore, sometimes we get caught in fear. But we don't need to stay there. Pay attention when you're trapped in fear, what you add on next. You add on faith, you're going to pull out. You add on anxiety, worry, you're going to be in depression. You can stop the add-ons when you insert who God is. When the angels told the shepherds, they said this, Do not fear or do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And he is the Messiah, the Lord. And Jesus was born. He lived. He died. He rose from the dead. And he lives today. And as a result of him living today, and my life being placed in his hands, I can say with assurance, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. And life is worth a living just because he lives. He lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, it's uh, just amazing for us to come and look at this uh, Christmas season through perhaps maybe more of a human element and yet very um, tangible for our lives and things that we're facing currently in ways that you want to grow us in the midst of this situation that we find ourselves in. 
So, Father, I pray that you would just uh, begin to show us if there's any, any situation in us that we recognize that fear has crippled us from maybe reaching out to get help or maybe causing us to uh, recoil, maybe just stifling us from moving forward. Again, I go back to a question I ask in the message, and that is, if you have a situation like that in your life, finish the statement, what would I call the fear that I have? If I were to name it, it would be fear of, fear because, what would it be? says do you remember your allies you're not alone in this one first of all he is with you second of all there's brothers and sisters in Christ that are with you there's the word of God that is written for us to go to there's the Holy Spirit that lives within us that is active four allies right there Thank the Lord for his allies. Thank you, Father. And if you have not been reaching out for your allies, I would recommend the word of the Lord is make sure that you start reaching out for people of faith, not people of fear. They're the wrong allies people of faith. And you might have to guard some conversations with people that pull you down rather than lift you up. But that's a part of the process that we go through living in this land. But God has allies for you. Is there something that you need to act on right now and your feelings have kept you crippled? Maybe seeing someone or going someplace or saying something and, and, and your feelings have just kept you crippled of doing that which you know is right the Lord has told you to do. It's time to take action. And then lastly, call on the name of the Lord and when He comes, all fear will be gone. Just like I did, I called on the name of the Lord and all fear was gone. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to just assess this moment. And, you know, if you're, if you're right now, if you're caught in a circumstantial fear, I just want to pray for you. Can you just stand up where you're at just as a way of breaking that intimidation? Because fear is an intimidating factor. Just stand up where you're at to say, I've got circumstantial fear that I'm dealing with, and I want to break the intimidation off of it. Don't be afraid to stand because you're standing in the company of allies and you're standing before the Lord that is going to come in and conquer that fear that has plagued you.
plaguing you now. Thank you, Lord. Those standing, just hold your hands up before the Lord. And if you're sitting, you're welcome to as well to receive the full benefit. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you would come and you would break the back of intimidating fear over those standing right now in Jesus' name. And I proclaim now that you would give them add-ons of faith. You would show them in your word where you want them to meditate on. You would give them people to pray for them and encourage them to lift them up, Father. I pray that you would give them discernment that when they walk into a conversation or a place that is only going to feed their fear, that you would cause them to put up a bumper guard and say, no, I'm not going to receive that into my spirit because I am walking out and I am walking into faith out of this circumstantial fear for the glory of God and for my own health and the health of others around me, Lord. God, I pray that you would touch them at a deep level so that they would know that you love them. Sometimes because we fear, we can disqualify ourselves that God doesn't love us. No, it just means we have work to do in receiving and understanding the grace and the love of God for our lives. That's all. We're not disqualified for anything. Jesus qualified us by his blood. Simply that, and we believe in what he did for us. And now we're in a journey to become more like him. And Lord, I pray for the peace of Jesus. The peace of that proclamation. Peace on earth. Goodwill to all. I pray for those standing. I pray peace. I pray that proclamation that was given by the angels to earth, that same proclamation come over those standing here in your midst. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, that you have come to break circumstantial fear in our life so that we could walk in faith and confidence and courage that we can face tomorrow because all fear is gone. That we can face tomorrow because you live. In Jesus' name.